Welcome to Wrestling with God Show, the podcast where we grapple with big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with my friend and Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Irish. Hey, Father Len. Back in episode 16, we talked about forgiveness. We had a question from a listener in Phoenix. I think her name was Sandy. She was asking us a bunch of questions about forgiveness. And what we did was we talked about what it is and why we need to do it. And you talked about how we often confuse forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, You explained that everything is forgivable, but not all things can be reconciled. And then you demonstrated how not forgiving takes away our freedom and actually traps us in this prison of anger and bitterness and resentment. You also told us forgiveness doesn't mean you don't hold somebody accountable for what they said or did to you. You described not holding people accountable as a form of appeasement that actually turns forgiveness into submission and kind of becomes this way of the weak and not the strong. You also told us that forgiveness or forgiving is not easy. So today, uh, Father Lynn, can you help us understand just how we do it? Just how do we forgive? Well, that is a good question. And I do love a while ago you said that, you know, in the Catholic Church, they always said, oh, you, you have to forgive, you have to forgive, but they never showed you how. Yep. I'll give I, you how, how I believe it is. Well, that's it's, certainly a start. It is, but first a disclaimer, so I don't appear as a complete hypocrite. <laughs> uh, you don't want to be that if you're a priest, Father, no. and that wouldn't work very well. At least I, I'm, I'm not good at hiding it. It's just too obvious that... I am not great at forgiving. If, okay. If forgiving is like an exercise, you know, the more you do it, the better you get. Um, so you, once, don't do, you don't do it very often? Well, I'm, let's say, I, if it's like swimming, I'm in the kiddie pool. Um, <laughs> not that I don't do it often. I just need a lot more practice to get better at it. Okay. But I do believe if you learn to forgive small things, you do build up this muscle that, Later, you can forgive other things because you've slowly built it up, the ability, step by step by step. Now, I have to admit, a couple times in my life, I've forgiven a major monstrosity because it was so big that immediately I only had one choice, and that was to forgive. And I really consider those times a complete grace gift from God because that was not within my power. You cut me off on traffic. Um, something small like that, and I tell you, I'll be mad about it. (laughs) And you hold on to that anchor. I will remember the car, I swear to God. But (laughs) I think forgiveness is a skill, like all the other virtues. Uh, In one sense, all virtues are really skills that have been practiced, that they become second nature. That's what I'm hoping with forgiveness, that it's a muscle that you have to build up. Now, I fully, this is my belief, timing is important. You may not be able to forgive immediately the closer to the insult or the injury, but I think you have to mourn and be angry first to choose forgiveness most of the time. So it's okay okay then to be angry and kind of get it out and that kind of thing. Is that what you're saying? Yes, it is. If your house just burnt down, 
in this act of vandalism, very few people can say, oh, just let it go. Let it go. Um, And yet here's the, the joke. Let it go is one of my phrases to remind me the steps of forgiveness. Now, I didn't invent this. Actually, it was a psychologist I ran across, but I liked it. And, and let it go is just the steps of forgiveness. But I do have to say this. There is this Big Bang show, TV show, where the whole show, uh, something offensive happened, and then somebody else would say, oh, just let it go. You know? <laughs> and the more somebody said that, the more irritating it was. Um, no, I can't just let it go. I do like it. Let it go is kind of my steps of forgiveness. And so I'm just going to go over this. So the L is for look deeply at what went wrong. The E, empathy. T, tell a better story. The G, give forgiveness. And the O, one day at a time. So the first step is to look deeply. And that means really live the pain. Look deeply at the reality of the pain. Some people are good at getting mad but not at feeling sad, that they'd rather feel angry than the pain of the offense. And that's actually kind of me. But St. Paul says, get rid of all anger and stop lying. So look deeply. Looking deeply at an offense is the opposite of denial. It's the opposite of stop lying. Some people, I think, are afraid to feel the pain Uh, and rejection due to some fear of feeling powerless. Now, anger gives me the ability that I don't feel powerless, but it also prevents me from forgiving. I think a lot of people just don't want to feel the pain, so they stick with anger. And uh, it may seem obvious, but I think people suppress the sadness that eventually just turns into bitterness. So, I think it's necessary to face reality of all the pain and the rejection of that some offense caused. Many think that you just forget the offense. That's forgetting is not the same as forgiveness. God does not give us a lobotomy. What God gives us <laughs> is forgiveness. And so this famous psychologist says that most people don't want to under uncover the reality of the pain by remembering. But the past is is never just the past. So can one forgive too quickly? I would say yes, sometimes. Yes, I know this seems like a contradiction to scripture, but how many times is quick forgiveness really just cheap forgiveness that lacks justice? So are you saying that there's a positive to kind of wallowing in and understanding the pain a little bit? I mean, you kind of... Yeah, I don't want to say wallow because that means you're stuck there. Okay. Give yourself some time to really feel the pain. Because if you don't, it's just easier to hide behind anger. And like, I'll give you this example. I'll try and keep repeating it. When I was fairly newly ordained, I met this, oh my God, great woman. Uh, Her name was Marge Prothman. She was amazing. She was in the U.S. International Ski. It was just before the Olympics came about. So before the Olympics, she was in this international competition as a famous skier, very successful businesswoman, got to meet her in McCall. And in McCall, it was the first place I was ever a pastor. And I went there and the church was massively in debt. And it was quite clear going through the books that somebody embezzled. The person who embezzled the money, um, Marge was acting as a uh, bookkeeper 
And then she realized, oh no, you know what's going to happen? He's going to get caught and I'm going to take the blame. And just like the guy had set her up and Marge kind of amazed me because she wasn't bitter about it at all. In fact, she, I once asked her, I said, how can you not be angry? He was setting you up. And she said, you know, I was angry because it's a way of saying I'm too stupid to realize what you're doing. And then the guy turned ill. And the guy really had no real deep connections. But he turned ill. And Marge said, you know, I decided at that moment I'm going to nurse him back to health. I'm going to be the one who waits on him hand and foot so that I can get over that, my anger. Now, that's pretty amazing. She didn't just jump to forgiveness. She examined the pain, the insult. She doesn't lose her faith uh, because somebody in the church did this. But here's the interesting part. So I detailed it. My first degree was in accounting. I, I forgot it all. But I detailed out all the suspicious activities, checks written out to cash, the whole thing. And I called the diocese and I said, I, you know, I think there's been embezzlement here and Here's all my suspicious evidence. And the diocese is the one, this shocked me, this happened years ago, where the guy on the other phone said, oh, well, we, we can't, because I wanted a, a full audit. And the, the diocese said, oh, we, we can't do that because if it came out, that would scandalize the people. Now, I thought that was really interesting because the hierarchy was offering not forgiveness, but kind of this cheap avoidance of reality and then call it forgiveness. Marge, she actually kind of spent time reflecting. And in the end, Marge had nothing but forgiveness for the person and no bitterness whatsoever. So forgiveness always happens in the context of justice. You can be robbed and still want the money back. You can forgive the robber, but still call the police. So this kind of compulsive forgiveness might just be because you're more comfortable being a doormat than a sign of holiness. Like you have to actually feel the pain to forgive. So another well, example. So um, Father Len, taking your example, Marge, the bookkeeper that was set up and you know was going to be blamed possibly for uh, embezzlement. So what motivated her to? Take the guy who actually embezzled the money. What motivated her to want to help him in his pain, in his well, sickness well, and whatever? What I, motivated her was forgiveness. And even she said, this wasn't really about him. This was about me. I didn't want my anger to turn to bitterness. I didn't want to be one of those people that said, oh, you know, we're just not going to look at it. So she said, I realized I had to do something. I was praying that... I, uh, I could forgive him and love him. It's not like I don't know he's a crook and a liar. She's not denying reality. She went beyond it. So she was the one who really knew, like I was actually quite angry. And she's the one who knew first. And she made a choice. She was angry, but she decided, no, my faith is too much. I've got to make sure I can love him. I'm not saying he loved her. I'm not saying he ever changed. But she's the one who changed. Did she actually call him out for what he had done along with loving him? Well, she told him she knew what he was up to. But she didn't call the diocese because she wouldn't really have that power. But she says, I know what you're up to. And she thought about 
She never did, but she thought about leaving the Catholic Church. But she decided, no, that this doesn't matter. But what I'm, my point being is that, wow, she really spent some time, and she told me this, you need to kind of feel the offense. You actually have to think about it and feel it. So just let me give you another example. Um, like anybody who's chronically late, there may be some psychological reason for it, but sometimes people are late as a sign of showing disrespect for other people. And it's easier just to make excuses. So there's this kid once who he had a divorced dad. His dad, sorry, his parents were divorced. And the dad was chronically late showing up to pick him up. And the kid says to the dad, when you're late, it makes me feel unimportant. So here you have this kid who didn't just jump into forgiveness, which is just fake forgiveness as a form of denial. He actually felt, you know what? You're making me feel unimportant. And he held his dad accountable. That kid knows more about forgiveness because he didn't cover it up with this cheap imitation of forgiveness. So the kid, the first step is to be really honest with yourself. That's what Marge and the kid did. Before you can forgive, sometimes you have to learn how to be really honest. Forgiveness demands truth telling. First to yourself. If I just stay angry, I'm really not examining the truth. So a lot of people, I think, just avoid the honesty because it's just too embarrassing. Even Jesus confronts his own disciples when they've offended him. He doesn't say, oh, that's okay. Just don't worry about it. He actually says something. And it sounds awful, but I'm going to um, <laughs> be honest. Because you mentioned your, your, your brother being so angry with your dad. Uh-huh. Well... Not that my life ended that way, but I realized that as a kid, when I was a little kid in elementary school, and we were living on the University of Montana campus. My dad was brilliant, uh, but we were living at the UAM campus, and we went out to this picnic with a bunch of people out in the woods, and one of my dad's friends was a photographer, and he took pictures of us kids, just individual black and white shots that actually were quite beautiful. Uh, and I have two sisters. And uh, one of my sisters, the picture of her is eating a potato chip. So later when the ki uh, pictures were given as a gift, my dad sees the picture of my oldest sister eating a potato chip and he starts to mock her and saying, oh, look at that. She's eating again. And I just remember this insight that, oh, my God, he hates her. And he did. I mean, he treated one sister, he spoiled, and the other one, for no explanation that I know, he just hated her. And he always had some mocking way of saying things to her. And the fact that, like, even as a little kid, I could wrestle with, I'm sorry, that's the truth. He just doesn't like her. I didn't know why, didn't care why, but really, the more I kind of uh, wrestled with that. And that was just when I was a kid. I was really set free. So later in life, when when I was in junior high, he made it quite clear that without saying anything that he didn't like me. And the odd part was, I was fine with that. I was fine. You know, I had long worked through the motions on this, uh, because I had to really kind of wrestle it with about my sister. So, you know, 
the story ends out great because we had this great reconciliation and he turned his life around. But you don't have to confront the person with your anger, but you do have to confront your own pain about the reality of the situation. All I'm saying is that the first step takes incredible honesty. Now, usually, because I'm really slow, very slow, if I'm offended, I give myself three days. And in three days, I don't want to stew over what happened, but I really want to be honest that, well, maybe the person just doesn't like me. Or actually, this is even more true. What I found is that I'm never 100% innocent. (laughs) Maybe some of this blame is on me. It takes a while. I'm not saying I wasn't offended, but it takes a while to kind of wrestle with that. I always give myself three days if I'm really offended because otherwise I'll hide behind anger. First step, look deeply, be honest. That's the L. Second step, empathy. Empathy is not pity. That's when you feel superior to somebody else. It's not sympathy. Sympathy is polite, but it really has no compassion. Empathy is thinking about what it's like to walk into somebody else's shoes. So positive psychologists have found that forgiveness is a lot longer road without empathy. So you really have to have the skill of empathy. So like take my dad, for example. I don't, I mean, I did realize that, but here's the thing. Later I found this out because my dad told me when he had ALS, but um, he said, you know, my greatest regret, one of my great regrets in life is my dad never said I loved, that he loved me. My dad, he had a brother, Bob, who, really was a very good person, very religious. And my grandfather spoiled Bob and always disliked my dad. And that kind of helped me. It was like, oh my God, my dad was just acting out the very same thing that he knew in his childhood. I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying it's right. But empathy is this awareness of other people's pain. I think it prevents our hearts from becoming hardened and the danger of always thinking that you're a victim. Now, that's why like several classes on forgiveness, like professional forgiveness classes, they demand that you have to train yourself to be empathetic. Otherwise, you're always assigning blame and leaving it there. Like when I get cut off on traffic, my first thought is some idiot. Why me? You know, why, how dare he do that to me? But with empathy, you can get over these. It's not about me. It's not about myself. And then I make jokes like, my gosh, how many times have I accidentally cut off other people? I'm a terrible driver. I am sure I've done that, not even been aware. Honest to God, at St. Ignatius, I think this is hilarious. One day, um, and I've always known I'm not a good driver. One day I was taking, teaching religious ed and um, one kid raised his hand for a question, which is always kind of scary. And so I said, yeah, yeah, what's your question? He says, I saw you driving with my dad. You're a terrible driver. Yes, I, I, I do know that. I truly Busted. am a terrible. No, but it's simply true. My God, you should say I'm terrible. And so when I get cut off in traffic, I have to think in all honesty, they probably are just as bad as me. And all humans are flawed. And so a little bit of empathy is necessary for life. Learning empathy, remembering that all the other people who've forgiven me, it helps me with forgiveness. Even the Marge I was talking about, because anger is one of my problems. 
Marge, who I just loved, something happened and I was upset about it. And she said, you know, I'm going to give you five minutes to be angry. And after that, you have to let it go because you've done something like this to somebody else, I'm sure. And I thought about it and she was exactly right. And so like, she gave me five minutes to be angry. But the, the last she, thing she said, I was like, oh my God, I, I am sure I've done that too. And suddenly forgiveness was really easy. I think that you've said something that really is so powerful. This idea of whatever the offense was, whatever somebody said or did to you, may have nothing to do with you. And like my when, dad, that had when, nothing to do with my sister. Right. And when you, when you try to look at it and try to be empathetic about what caused the, what they did or what they said, what might be happening to them, it changes everything. It really does. I mean, I, I, it's like my father, uh, I came to realize uh, that a lot of his behavior was the result of his incredible insecurity. He had developed childhood diabetes. And when that happened with him, it was kind of like leprosy or whatever, and his parents and grandparents whisked him away uh, because they were embarrassed by it, that that, that their, their son had diabetes and and it it caused him to have this amazing insecurity. I think they thought they were doing some good for him. You know, they they. Uh, but you know, the, just on that, I know this answers. It doesn't excuse the offense, but I kind of think on the other side, when we're in heaven, looking back and seeing how the tapestry was woven, then I'll understand. So even if I didn't understand about your father, with empathy, I could truly say. I don't know. He clearly has his issues rather than all his issues are directed at me. Yeah, no, that's the point that I, that I think you've made here very clearly that, you know, being cut off and tra- whatever it is, it probably isn't about you. And if you make it about you, you do get trapped in this prison of anger and resentment and whatever. And you, you can't you can't get past it. So here's it's, the thing, you know, you can learn empathy even before that. Like, I think you should learn empathy. There's ways of learning empathy so that when the offense happens, you have a little bit more muscle there. Okay. So the third step is tell a better story. So that's the L E T T is for tell a better story. Um, and just an example, like the Belfast, this Belfast grade school, there are so many problems. Uh, because in Northern Ireland, all this war and anger and anxiety, and the students were coming to school so angry. So the teachers intentionally told stories about forgiveness. And the teacher said that the children began to learn better when they were less angry, that everything kind of improved. So telling a better story, it's not just that facts change people. Facts don't. We know that story changes people. So they've done these brain studies that people, surprisingly, they're not logical. Everybody says they're logical. You're not. We are. Our opinions don't change because of evidence. Our opinion changes because there's a better story that's being told. You tap into that power of emotion, then suddenly you'll find something logical. 
So a story with a message of hope always creates greater change. So an example, they had to get people to wash their hands and they're saying what signs would motivate people to wash their hands, such as, you know, you'll be fined, you'll be fired, you're going to kill somebody. And the one that worked the best was when they told the story, keeping people alive by washing your hands. People have this natural ability that me washing my hands, I'm keeping other people alive. And telling a story has the greatest effect on our brains. They did these brain studies. The great story, it synchronizes people's minds, the, the storyteller and the listener. So even like, I think this is amazing, even watching sporting events, you know, when you win at sporting events, your testosterone actually boosts up. When you lose, it goes down. But here's the thing that they find was amazing. Uh, there was no difference between the player and the fan biochemically. And if your team won, you get a little boost of testosterone. Just like the guy who actually won. Yeah. So we are very united. So the power of story shapes our reality. So back to Marge. Marge, she knew she was angry. She knew she had to forgive. So she told herself a better story. And the better story is, wow, if I can forgive him, I'm truly a good, uh, great Christian. Like she wanted to forgive him to get her faith back. Uh, not in the sense of being a hypocrite or a Pharisee. She wanted to have real faith. And she realized this is her chance. I will nurse him back. And she said she was free of all resentment. You tell yourself a better story. And so neurologists say that when you tell the same story over and over to yourself, you're carving this deep rut into your memory that can either be good or bad. To keep telling the offensive story is to keep the anger alive, turning it over one more time until you're chronically angry. Telling the story of, as a victim, being injured over and over and over again, causes this rut in your brain. So you'll only think this way. And a rut is nothing more than a shallow grave. So to tell a better story is to climb out of our victim story so that we can get out. Telling a better story is not digging deeper into the hurt. It's actually creating this ladder of getting out of it. Like, look at the passion story of Christ. You could tell that from the side of, um, look how awful the world is. But it's actually, look how more powerful love is than all the corruption and anger in the world. So retelling a story with anger intensifies it. Retelling a story where you define, you don't define yourself as a victim, better story helps create this ladder. Maybe to tie in with the empathy, if you tell, if you tell a better story with some empathy, all of a sudden you're on a whole different path. Right. Look at, look at in the Bible, since it's a religious story, look at uh, Joseph in the old Testament, you know, left for dead, sold into slavery. And then actually it even gets worse. He gets thrown into prison. But in prison, here he can interpret dreams. And one guy has a dream and Joseph interprets it right and he gets freed. And Joseph said, remember me someday. Well, it's another three years, I think, that Joseph spends in prison. But one day, Pharaoh needs a dream interpreted. And he says, oh, I know the guy who can do that. Pharaoh meets Joseph. And, and Pharaoh's then, oh, the king, right? Yeah, Pharaoh's the king of Egypt. 
Right. And Pharaoh meets Joseph and Joseph turns out to be this great advisor. And he keeps rising higher and higher and higher until Joseph becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. And Joseph realized a famine was coming, so he stores up enough grain for seven years of a famine. He's a great administrator, a gifted administrator, second only to Pharaoh. Well, with his great famine, his brothers come to Egypt looking for food. So, so... These are the brothers who sold him into slavery, right? Right, right. Out okay. of jealousy, yeah. And once, once Joseph realizes these are his brothers, and he can feed them, and they've changed. They're no longer uh, these selfish, cruel people. He actually loves them, um, and he reveals who he is. And Joseph tells a better story. His story could have been, my life has been abuse and slavery and hardship because of you people. He, he doesn't hold on to resentment. You people, meaning his brothers. Yeah. He tells a better story. He said, because I went through all of that, I was risen to the very top. And now I can save the entire family. Now I can feed the world because of what I went through. He doesn't hang on to the resentment. He tells a better story, and it ends with love. So I know this sounds kind of strange. Telling a better story is one of the key steps of forgiveness. Otherwise, you'll just focus on the injury itself. And the thing about it is, is that like, I know this sounds kind of strange. Tell a better story. You keep your memory not in your head. You keep it all over in your body. So you tell yourself a better story. Have you ever... Uh, I hate to say this, talking to cousins and my sisters, I kind of make the joke sometimes. Did we grow up in the same family? Because <laughs> how they remember an incident and how I remember an incident is so different. Like actually, I hate to say this, my oldest sister and I often about my other sister are, are like, what? we never saw any of the things she saw. So telling a story is telling more about yourself than the actual incident. So tell yourself a better story. I'm not saying change the facts, but like Marge, tell yourself a better story. If I can forgive him, I truly will be a better Christian. And in the end, she did fall in love with him. Not that he changed, but she had forgiveness. So, okay. So uh, the let it go, the T is tell a better story. The G is give forgiveness. So I think after you've made those preparatory steps, the next step is to actually forgive. And like in Judaism, I, they have this prayer called the Shema. And every morning when you wake up, you pray, listen, O Israel, Israel, the Lord your God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your strength. And then Christ adds, and your neighbor as yourself. But like I... I think there's a way of dedicating every day to love, which means uh, to try and love other people. You will have to forgive. I know this sounds strange. You have to forgive God. Uh, and I know that sounds just awful, but like Job, I can get angry with God. You have to learn how to forgive yourself for stupid things we've done. And most of all, forgive other people. Make it part of your prayer life. 
that I want to forgive. I may not be able to forgive. I really, I, as I said, a lot of times I think it's just the grace of God. I, I really do. It's not me, it's God. So I pray that I'll have the desire for forgiveness, even if I don't have the ability. And God will answer that prayer. So even like my mother, this really shocked me. And I actually, I find it true that when my, when my grandmother died, my mother used to pray the stations of the cross for my grandmother. And my grandmother adored my mother. She worshiped my mother. And so I just thought it was strange that my mother was doing the stations of the cross when her mother died. So I had to ask why. And she said, you know, there'll come a time that when I die, you have to forgive me for not being the best parent. And I love my mother. And she said, you know, my mother loved me, but she wasn't the perfect parent. And, you know, my mother, her way of praying is the stations of the cross for her grand, my, her mother, that she'd forgive her the many ways that maybe you weren't the perfect parent. My mother's right. When she dies, I'll probably have to pray that I forgive all those little things that I never even uh, noticed. So prayer, ritual, yeah, I love it. You know, Father Len, uh, I have this friend that has taught forgiveness for 30 years. And one of the steps in, you know, the final step in forgiving is to see the good in the other person and to pray that they will mend their ways, change their ways, recognize what they've done and how they've done it. Uh, So, you know, send them some love by recognizing, you know, and you don't necessarily have to even say anything to them, but recognize in your own mind, this helps you forgive, recognize the good you see in them and pray for them actually, you know, mending their ways. It's like um, with my dad, my dad had all kinds of good qualities that were oftentimes overshadowed by, you know, some of his behavior, some of the things that he did. And I found myself later on in life, um, you know, focusing on the good, the things that he gave me, the things that were really good about him. I mean, we we never had much of a relationship. We didn't have a bad relationship, though, like my brother did, who I think spent his whole time focusing on my dad's shortcomings that made him so angry, you know, and and taking them personally. Another thing that uh, that really kind of resonates with me This woman who teaches forgiveness, she defines forgiveness as releasing an expectation that is causing you to suffer. And I, I found this to be very insightful because so much of the anger, so much of the disappointment and, you know, the, the victimhood and whatever we place ourselves in is we have an expectation of something being different than it actually is. And, you know what whatever whoever the person is whatever they've done or said we didn't expect them to do that and so so that's much of the anger but that's our expectation for them uh which uh you know i find if you can kind of let that go and realize it's it's your expectation that's a big help as well does that make any sense father len or no yes it does i mean there's a something always sad about 
mournful about letting go of people's, your expectations. But I, I think that's once again, wrestling with reality. Yep. So I, I really do believe life goes the way your heart desires. If you desire forgiveness, even if I'm not able to, if I pray and pray that I can forgive, God will answer that prayer. If I want to be angry, I will be angry. I will be hurt. And you'll continue to be hurt. Yeah. So like I, the last step is to uh, ask really that I can forgive. Well, that's not the last step, but the fourth step is give forgiveness. Uh, so, so go through your steps again and your acronym. Okay. So the acronym is let go. The L is look deeply. The E is empathy. The T is a, tell a better story. The G is give forgiveness. And for me, I hate to say that that's mostly prayer. I don't really have to go and tell. In fact, I wouldn't go and tell the person I've forgiven you, Irish. It's for me, mostly a prayer form or some sort of ritual. Um, and you know, when Peter says, well, this the last step, the O, go. O is one more day. And by one more day, I mean this. I want to remember the forgiveness. And when Peter asked Jesus, how many times must I forgive my brother if if he offends me? And Jesus says, "Uh, not seven times, seven times 70. That's a biblical number. But what it really means is not seven times 70 different separate events. But how about seven times 70 days? That over and over again, like it'll come into my mind, oh, yeah, Iris said that about me. And for 70 <laughs> days, I'll be remembering, oh, yeah, and I chose to forgive him. Does that make it like forgiveness is my way of life? Every time I remember that offense, I also remember, and I chose to forgive him. So I don't think it's 70 different events. I think it's forgiveness is not forgetting. I, mean, I have a friend who's a priest who always says, well, forgiveness and forgetting, you just forget it. Once again, that's a lobotomy. I, I want to actually choose forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. It may be the end product. I'll agree with that. But maybe you should remember certain offenses so that you can remember, and I have chosen a lifestyle of forgiving. I think right. that's the most important thing is so remembering last- how you chose to deal with it. Because it really does free you for, it doesn't say forget it. It says, remember how you dealt with it and remember the freedom that it gives you, the peace it gives you. It's, it's really powerful. The other thing, you know, you mentioned in our episode about forgiveness is the, the other huge benefit is health. Um, Because anger, resentment, bitterness, creates all kinds of stress that just hangs on, hangs on, hangs on. And almost every study I've seen about any kind of disease under the sun, one of the big culprits is stress. You know, they did this long-term study just on this. I thought it was amazing where um, people who um, have kind of PTSD from some horrible event in their life, um, the ones who keep telling the story that they're a victim are the ones who have the best memories. 
but they hold the anger in their bodies in crippling ways. The people who were able to forgive, to get over the PTSD, they actually call it post-traumatic growth. Post-traumatic growth syndrome? Yeah. If you can tell yourself a better story, you actually skyrocket on improved health and all that other stuff. No, no, I chose to forgive. Because anger is not just a feeling. Anger is a reaction to a feeling. So you can train, I actually believe this, you can train yourself uh, that the reaction is not just anger. The reaction is forgiveness. And as I said, little by little, forgiveness is a muscle. But the more you do it, the quicker it gets. I'm in the baby pool, but for me, these steps work. They work for me. So uh, I go through, I give myself time to forgive. Uh, It's not always an immediate process, but it takes a lot of skills. Well, I think you've given us uh, a lot of really good ideas about how to approach forgiveness uh, and, and how it works for you, Father Len. I, I can relate to much of what you've said, and I think that you've given our listeners kind of a little template to kind of work through this idea of forgiveness and to try it out. And like you say, the more you do it, the better you get at it, and it's a skill. Um, and, and, it, and you've demonstrated that it's, it's not easy, but if you work at it, you're, you're going to do it. You're going to figure out how to do it. So... Anyway, I I hope uh, this helps our listeners, and I hope that they'll join us next time as we continue this uh, kind of crazy journey, climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth and meaning and purpose in our lives. And in the meantime, if you have a question that you'd like us to grapple with about faith, religion, life, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, just head over to our website. It's very easy. It's www.gshow.com. That's www.gshow.com. And we've got a questions button there. You just click on it, and you can send us a text, a voicemail, an email. There's a bunch of ways to do it. So uh, please uh, head over there and check it out. And thanks for listening. See you next time. God bless. God bless.